Welcome to another episode of Dying for Midnight, DFM. Be mindful of your surroundings while tuning in. There might be a fellow listener, and they're a lot closer than you think. to dedicate this episode to everyone living above the 36th parallel north and you're saying what in the hell is this guy talking about and yes you have landed at the right place if you're looking for the time for midnight or a movie review podcast I-, I promise you just stick with me this is everyone in this location that is 36 degrees north of the earth's equatorial plane crossing north america the atlantic just about well, listen, all the ways around your favorite basketball size light-up lamp that you close your eyes and spin while picking a place you must live for the rest of your life, never giving a turn to your classmate because, well, the 3D geographic bumps your finger treads over, especially the Andes Mountain portion. It's about to say Andes Candies. Mm. Uh, is just too <laughs> satisfying to give up. Don't eat that Andes Candy and then touch the globe. Yes, that's right. Don't smear the chocolate on the teacher's globe, okay? For those of you living in this latitude, you know the sun is visible. And yes, I actually researched this for 14 hours and 36 minutes during the summer solstice. And unfortunately for all of us right now in this latitude, or give or take a degree of latitude, nine hours and 43 minutes during the winter solstice. What are you talking about? You'll see. Okay. I promise. In the ancient Mediterranean world... This was useful information, okay? Maybe, maybe not as much as, you know, today, but from back then, all seafarers and people used it for navigation, similar in the way that... Listen, do people still use the equator today? Or did it? No. I don't know. Okay, but what, what does navigation and geography have to do with today's movie? Well, I'm getting to that, okay? Especially for those warm braggadocios. Okay, out there listening, a.k.a. the Southerners, the Southwesterners, and probably the West Coasters. You laughing at the rest of us right now? Suffering through sub-freezing temperatures? I'm almost not joking here, people. Well, listen, no matter where you are, (laughs) we hope you're actively beating your winter blues and not succumbing to the dangers of cabin fever. You know, if you're someone that finds yourself every fall saying... I'm really glad we have the benefit of experiencing all four seasons. You may be located in a similar geographical region and cyclical weather pattern as Carrie and I, and you find yourself relishing the crisp autumn weather in October and November, only to find yourself with sickle in hand come February saying, holy hell, I could really go for 60 degrees in sunlight. No matter. Let, let's all put the sickle down, take a deep breath. Probably this is much for me as for anybody else. We know there's only so many times you can listen to your horror soundtrack records or your favorite horror podcast. 
Okay, don't stop listening to your favorite horror podcast. Wink. Plan yet another winter weekend cooking a pot of Texas red or insert meaty stew-like substance here. French onion soup for my poor family, that is. Or go back to completing the entirety of the subspecies collection. That's me. <laughs> you haven't seen vampire journals yet, no, Perry. No, I'm working on it. Okay. Maybe you're also spending your winter searching all over the interwebs for reviews for something like, I don't know, the top 10 neo Jalos of the late 2010s, which, by the way, if you are searching and you haven't done so, catch cold hell and knife and heart. You won't be sorry. But anyways, just hold on, fellow horror hounds. We're getting closer to March. We're getting closer to St. Patty's Day. We're getting closer to halfway to Halloween. And before you know it, there will be more sunshine. There won't be warmer days. And hey, listen, you may be doing everything and have broken out of the cold doldrums already. So that's why I'm going to shut the hell up and talk about today's episode, episode 49, or what we like to call... Cold drama queens and monologuing madness. I think you're being a bit of a drama queen yourself today. You might be right. Now, on to 1983's Curtains. I swear I'm done. British-Canadian producer Peter Simpson desired to create another hit slasher after the release of Prom Night. This is the same producer responsible, as you may very well know, dear listener, for Prom Night 2, Hello, Mary Lou, which is arguably superior to 3 and 4. Um... During a brisk jog, I believe it's jogging, according to Ron Burgundy, with the writer Robert Guza Jr., responsible for Curtin's screenplay. And listen, I don't know what else to tell you other than he did a billion General Hospital episodes. Uh, General Hospital episodes. Can't even talk tonight. In Toronto's Queens Park, okay, this is where they're jogging. They started creating the idea of a whodunit type of slasher film about a group of actresses being killed while auditioning at a big mansion. And I'm sure we're going to hear from Jake later more on the plot. Uh, later, this film can be considered Art Nouveau, just for the set decoration alone of that mansion. Um, aiming to avoid what he called a teeny bopper slasher like Terror Train, which I disagree with that assessment, by the way. Look no further than his own Prom Night flicks for teeny bopper stuff. I mean, Terror Train features college characters that are probably a little more experienced than the characters in his prom night films. I agree with you. So Simpson agreed to do curtains um, because the movie is aimed at adults. Okay. Or older adults than the young adults in terror train and the older children in prom night. You get the gist. Uh, Richard Sukka, And I'm sorry, Richard, if I'm mispronouncing your last name was a cinematographer with no directing experience at the time. Um, he was inspired by Italian Giallo films. He thought Curtin should be more of an art house inspired Giallo. And um, I think you'll see tinges of that in this if you haven't caught Curtin's before, dear listener. But Simpson sort of won out because it does lean more into the slasher elements what he was going for. Um, now, Carrie, let's uh, wait no further and check out the trailer for Curtin's. But uh, <clears throat> anyways, major tensions between those two. Made the cast of this film wonder if it was even going to finish. Um, our cinematographer slash new director, he didn't uh, finish the film and Simpson took over. Um, Carrie and I feel that while the film suffered a little, no thanks to Ottawa critics. Um, would you agree, Carrie? It's kind of rightfully found its footing as a Canadian cult horror classic, thanks to late 80s cable and a probably a newfound love through physical media. 
Yeah, but all that geography, and you didn't mention Paul Zaza, who rules Canadian horror soundtracks. Yeah, I am very sorry, Paul Zaza. Well, you want to know more about Paul Zaza, go listen to Mary Lou and just know that he was kind of like a producer's um, scorer, if that makes any sense. He worked really well with Simpson. Every curtain, someone is waiting. Someone is watching. Someone is hiding. What waits behind the curtains is exciting, frightening, sensual, terrifying. Bizarre. Curtains reveal what you expect and what you don't. Curtains, the ultimate nightmare. Okay, Carrie. What is your reaction to the curtains, to the old hag and curtains? I, I mean, again, these old movies, older movies, I should say, they showed a lot. And I mean, a lot. I actually think they showed too, too much. But it is neat how they focused on the curtain and the different meanings of what a curtain can mean. It was definitely a good play in words. Yeah, if they didn't feature one particular scene, I think it would have worked better. Um, and for those of you that have watched curtains and big curtains fans out there, you know, which one I'm talking about. Um, especially in the beginning, um, we have our bedroom intruder and I'll, I'll talk, actually talk a little bit about that intruder later. Moving on to poster and tagline. Um, we have the poster who's got, it's kind of built off of the hag mask. Um, and we've got the doll, which we'll talk of more a little bit about later says behind every curtain <clears throat> excuse me let me restart that behind every curtain someone is waiting someone is watching curtains as the trailer says the ultimate nightmare carrie any thoughts about the poster or the tagline uh, there i mean i'm very confused why the doll is featured i mean it is part of the <laughs> movie but, and I'll go into that probably a little bit later. Imagine going to the theater and seeing the poster and going in completely cold. And you're thinking, oh, is this a little girl? Is yeah. a little girl in yeah. trouble in this yeah. movie? Yeah. You wouldn't even necessarily think that it was a doll if you no, knew No, because the way, the way it looks, it looks very realistically drawn like it's a child. An actual child. Yeah. Um. I think the poster is a reminder that part of the creative forces wanted a Jalo element. Um, there is the dream and dreamlike moments with the doll within this movie. <clears throat> Pardon me. The hag mask is featured heavily. Um, and you've kind of got the art deco thing going on. The tagline is kind of unimaginative. Now here's something to note. And dear listener, if you happen to pull up the poster while you're listening on your phone or at home, chilling on your laptop, whatever you're up to, 
Um, if you can, look at this poster. Check out who directed it at the very end of the poster. Is that the intended pseudonym for our man, Supka, who left? It's kind of a funny touch at the end of the poster, given that this director is actually the character in this movie. So. I, I personally think it could just be like a, a media ploy, like, oh, Jonathan Stryker, kind of like a neat little hint, hint. Yeah, Jonathan Stryker was the director of this supposed new movie that the movie's about. Okay, Carrie, think up of an alternate tagline. And while you're doing that, I will read mine. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go with something simple. And I think this is just, it's effective. Six actresses, one role to die for. That's a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you. Um, it's going to be curtains for you. I like that one too. And I'm laughing because I know you just did that impromptu I did. on the fly. <laughs> we, it's been one hell of a week. There are some parts of this episode, Guy, that we did admittedly not get to because of reasons. Children reasons. Zombie toots and ghostly pupper reasons. Um, job reasons. Normie job reasons. But, uh, <clears throat> oh, male wolf. Hey, buddy. Come here. I, I need, <laughs> I was going to tell you, male wolf, that I needed a good pet, but let me pet you. Um, <clears throat> Mel Wolf says where to stream. Um, Freebie, Peacock. I'm starting to see Freebie more and more. Uh, Roku, you're in luck if you got a Roku subscription. Tubi, good old Tubi. Um, yeah, don't rent this for two bucks. Go to Tubi. There's no reason to pay to stream this one. And uh, the Mel Wolf notes for physical media are. Um, you can get this on Best Buy is still selling some Blu-rays online, even though they're not selling any more physical media in person. Where's Walmart, the fun in that? Walmart, well, that's the wave of the future, I guess, if you want to call it that. I personally got a kick out of going in-store and finding those DVDs. It might just be curtains for buying physical media real soon. Let's hope not. Um... Starting to lean towards more of the online and boutique ordering, though. But, um, Ooh, yes. check out the one price. Yeah, I mean, look, you can get it at $13.99 at Target. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Later on this season, we're going to be talking Blood Rage, <clears throat> the Thanksgiving horror movie. You can get Curtains and Blood Rage a double feature for $22. So that's actually... Good point, Mailwolf. That's actually the best of the buy and not the one at Best Buy. But, um, Carrie, now it's time for that spoiler warning. Welcome to the DFM Spoilers Incline. If you haven't watched this week's film or aren't a spoiler hound, you may want to skip this ride. For everyone else, welcome aboard. Please take a seat. Reminder to passengers, as we descend, we ask that you not feed the ghouls or hounds of hell. Enjoy the nightmarish landscape by moonlight as we descend 6,666 eons of brimstone. You now have arrived at your final destination. Spoilers ahead. You are warned. For more information on what an incline is, Google that shit. Now comes DFM's very own Jake the Midnight Traveler. No. Case and carry. 
Six actresses going to the same house to audition for the same part. Sounds like a lot of fun. If you like blood baths. <laughs> Baby, you ain't kidding. Hello again, my friends of fiendish fright. It's me, Jake, the Midnight Traveler, back again for another trip across the border into the lands of Canada for another slice of that sweet tech shelter pie with an often overlooked film with a pretty impressive cast and a few tweaks to the tropes to boot. Yes, this week we delve into the sometimes daytime depravity of curtains. It was while surfing on the web many years ago that I came across the now apparently abandoned website, The Terror Trap. More than most, it boasted a great layout, compelling interviews with numerous cult stars, and a much deeper analysis and breakdown of many great films that, at the time, I hadn't even heard of. On top of that, they had a lot of films there listed, ranked, and grouped, which I then proceeded to seek out so I could check them off my list. For years, I would go back to it to see if there were any updated interviews until one day about a decade or so ago, the updates stopped coming in as regularly as they used to, which was a shame. That being said, the site was at least still up, so I could at least come back to it for reference as the years went by. One of the films that was provided and the synopsis really piqued my interest, which I'll read to you here. Samantha Sherwood is a well-known and respected actress. She very much wants the lead in a film called Audra, the latest project from director Jonathan Stryker. Samantha has worked with him in the past and believes it's just the role that can jumpstart her career. Her audition doesn't go well. Stryker's not convinced she can pull the part off. So a scheme is hatched to better prepare Samantha for the demanding role. Since Audra is a former mental patient, they plan to check Samantha into a psychiatric hospital and pay a visit to Dr. Pendleton to make the arrangements. Well, after a while, it seems like Jonathan has kind of got on his own. So long story short, Samantha figures it out and escapes and seeks revenge while Stryker is now auditioning several younger actresses for the role in a remote mansion in the Canadian countryside instead of her. Now, sounds like you know who the killer is going to be right away, right? Well, sit down and get ready for another whodunit slasher with more twists and turns than the Thunderbolt. On top of that, the cast is stacked and boasts Samantha Egar, John Vernon, Leslie Donaldson, Sandy Curry, Lynn Griffin, Maury Chaikin, and a young Michael Wincott to boot. <laughs> Basically, this is the cream of the crop of late 70s to early 80s Canadian horror actresses and actors all in one spot. The beautiful part here is that the writing is able to fit all of this into a tight 90 minutes without feeling convoluted and boasting some really impressive kills. The big one might keep you off your ice skates for a while. Its unconventional daytime setting adds another unique element to it all that most other films simply didn't do at the time. 
too bad the production itself was so troubled and that some of the cast didn't think this film was anything more than just a paycheck. This does boast a pretty decent amount of blood and gore for a slasher film, but I think that this one also might cross over to anyone who loves a good mystery, as it will keep you guessing until the very last moments. So, what we have here is yet another great deep cut that just needs more attention and love. Thankfully, there hasn't been an attempt to remake this one, and you better not get any ideas out there, folks. But I think that this would make a good double feature with Prom Night or My Bloody Valentine to keep that Canadian connection coming. (laughs) I think this is also just one of the best types of slashers out there with the pedigree of the cast. It really also pushes it a little bit ahead of the competition. Trust me, if the names I previously mentioned earlier didn't ring any bells, then just Google them and see how many fine contributions they made to the world of horror and film in general. I really need to thank the Terror Trap for me discovering this film as well. The interviews are still up there, and they're well worth the time to read, and I guarantee you will leave that site with a longer list of great flicks that you may have overlooked and now have the pleasure of having to track down. I think that'll just about do it for me here, folks. Things are getting rough down here, and I think I'm in dire need of some recuperation. I think I might check myself into one of those clinics and see if I can't get my head on straight again. I hear they got a lot to offer there now these days. Lord knows how I love to laugh. See you next midnight. Jake. Jake, appreciate the nod to the Terror Trap website. The old website is, in fact, still up and running. And as soon as I listened to Jake's segment um, before I edited into the episode here, I had to go check it out for myself again. This is a place I actually recall looking at whenever we were first married, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, and went and looked at the uh, extensive, and I mean extensive interviews done by that site with the creators and cast of Curtains. Here's a little tidbit just to show you how in-depth Terror Trap website is. During their interview, they were able to uncover, excuse me, um, additional trivia from Simpson himself. Um, Simpson told them, he said, did you know that for the scene where Strikers with the two women and they have the one woman caressing the other woman's breast, that that's actually a stunt breast played by Gene Simmons' wife, Shannon Tweed. Um, huh. so Shannon Tweed, shout out to you for the stunt breast. Uh, it was a very sensual scene moving right along to creator cast and character notables, or as what we called earlier this week in our delirium, creatibers. <laughs> I like it forever. It's now creatibers. It, be, I don't know if I'll be awake enough to remember to call it creatibers, but, uh, <clears throat> listen guys, we know who John Vernon is as Jake mentioned in his segment. Um, you recognize him from Dean from Animal House. I mean, that's a gimme. Klaus Kinski was originally considered for that role. You all know Samantha Egger. You've seen her before in stuff like The Brood, Star Trek. She was Hera in the Hercules cartoon. Played Marie Picard, John Luke's sister. She was actually was in another film with John Vernon, uh, also starring Peter Cushing called The Uncanny, where look that one up. It's basically like there's like all these short stories um, and it finds out that felines have special powers. 
um, Lane, uh, excuse me, Lynn Griffin, who had previously appeared in the slasher film Black Christmas, was in the role of Patty, um, the stand-up comic in this film. And um, at the time that they hired her, she was working local theater, like a lot of these people do uh, in Toronto. Um, Celine Lomez was cast in the role of, Brooke, uh, excuse me, Brooke Parsons, but was replaced by Linda Thorson after producer Simpson fired her. So, um, you know, I read... On that Terror Trap website, Samantha Egger in the interview about Curtin said that um, her and her friend Oliver Reed were kind of like, you you can have X number of people that weren't Canadian and like British would be like the next thing they went to. So her and Oliver Reed were like the token British people that all the Canadian tax shelter films would want to use. Another guy that I want to mention, Maury Chaikin, Jake mentioned him. He was one of those guys who built the careers. Oh yeah, that guy. And I remember him from, and you may remember who um, Maury Chaikin is. Uh, Death Hunt, War Games, uh, Of Unknown Origin, Meatballs 3, Iron Eagle 2. Heck, he was in Dances with Wolves. So um, anyways, that does it uh, for character and uh, cast notables. Creatables. Creatables. Or birds. Creatables. I just created a new new one. Only you could find a link with Star Trek. <laughs> Why? Because of my mom? Yeah. Yeah, my mom's a big Trekkie. Um. I kind of failed as a son, never taking her to like a Star Trek convention or a con. That That's a to-do list. Yeah. But uh, guys, that already brings us intermission. Um, that does it for segment one. Stick around for our intermission trailer and then continue on to segment two, horror, et cetera, to see who picked what movie to pair with curtains for a double feature. Start at the dawn of a new day 
exploring the wide open road. Follow the trail where it's leading you and discover Ontario. You'll see the mist on the water and feel the sun shining strong. You'll find the smile of a friendly face that says this is where you This is the story of Beverly Sutphin. Scramble eggs, anybody? A devoted mother. I'm so happy I could chip. You know how I hate the brown word. A loving wife. You think the kids are awake? We could be very quiet. I'm ready. Honey, you're hot tonight. <laughs> and a suspected murderer. Oh, kids, are you doing your homework? How did America's number one mom turn into one of America's most wanted? Is she really guilty? Are you a serial killer? Chip, the only serial I know anything about is Rice Krispies. Is she the only one with a motive? Believe that damn litter bugger. Give her a happy face. Or is there someone else? I'm stood up. I'll kill that jerk. With an axe to grind. No, oh. I'll never get a boyfriend. Meanwhile, this small Baltimore suburb... Please! Keeps getting smaller and smaller. It's been a crazy day, hasn't it? Savoy Pictures asks the burning question Is your wife mental? Is Beverly Sutphin just a sweet suburban housewife? Well, I don't know what it is about today, but I feel great. Cookie? Or is she. Serial Mom. Cool. Is she in a band? Kathleen Turner, Sam Waterston, and Ricky Lake. Serial Mom. Every woman wants to be wanted. Just not for Murder One. Beverly, I've read all about this. Is it menopause? Fire to the ball. Fire to the ball. All right, I admit it, I am responsible for picking Michael Sawabe's Aquarius, a.k.a. Stage Fright. Um, Curtains originally at least yearns to be a Jalo, where Stage Fright arguably aims to branch out and away from Sawabe's mentor and previous Jalo predecessors. And when I say Michael Suave, um, I want to say Rico Suave. <laughs> uh, no, but, but no, this is um, everybody right now is talking about his work with Cemetery Man. Um, he's in another movie called The Church. He's in one that a lot of people call boring. I stuck it out called The Sect. Um, the Church is AKA Demons 3. There was like five different movies called Demons 3. But anyways um i'm digressing now too much into michael suave but no the 
it, there's obvious reasons. I mean, we've got the the actors and actresses. Um, we've got the touches of Jalo in both of those films, so that's why I chose that one. Carrie, you are responsible for. I was really impressed with your pick. I mean, I'm always impressed. I always like the ones you pick, but this one I never really saw coming. You you didn't get it at first. I didn't. So you picked Serial Mom, and I like really grilled you earlier in the week saying, why? Why Serial Mom? <laughs> it, it just, it was the first one that came to my mind. I mean, that's center of attention night, let's face it. <laughs> you put on your double bill flyer. It's center of attention night with yeah. cartons and cereal. Yeah. I mean... We're questioning, like the, we're questioning the saneness of women and their willingness to do anything to get what they want in life, whether it's good or yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, and there's reasons for for them. And at this point, with curtains, I mean, it's all about craziness. Let's face it. Yeah. Um, I, ne- I honestly never saw that. You know, I almost picked Hell Knight just because of the mansion setting. You know, that would have been a good one too. Yeah, it's it's funny though because, like I mentioned, Art Deco and Art Nouveau, mm-hmm. and that's very much a thing that they like to use in Jalos. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as we've said, this movie has Jalo elements. Hell Knight, that one is more of the house in Kearns is not necessarily spooky. No. And that's why I decided not to go with it because the Hell Knight house, it is a spooky house in Hell Knight, the one with Linda Blair. Um, but I was like, nah, this is kind of a stretch. I need to think on this for a while. And then I'm like, oh yeah, stage fright. It's perfect. And you, you could argue like you're picking a double feature that features two really cool masks. Yeah. You've got the owl mask in stage fright and then you've got the hag mask in this one well i i mean really for me serial mom it was an added bonus you have matthew lillard well and a lot yeah. of people say this is the role that got yeah. him the this stew role, stew role and, yeah. yeah this is pre-scream yeah no serial mom that's such a good one and i am i assuming right that you would have to show serial mom last yeah 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 just to get just people, to get to people like up tempo before they go home like the, the, not so like uh. Yeah, the ending of curtains would be like, oh my god. Yeah. The the woman who followed her followed from, Samantha from the insane asylum was truly insane. Was really insane. And there's no motive. The no the how about the scene at the end where she's just putting on a little performance and like nobody's even paying attention. Exactly. To her. That's the crazy part. So you got. Two, if you haven't figured it out by now and not familiar with curtains, there's two killers. One of them does most of the killing, and that is the comedian woman. And then the one just kills a couple. That would be Samantha for revenge purposes, because as Jake so elegantly put it, Stryker decides that the show must go on without her. Yep. Um, I wonder if Stryker was hoping to that she just would never get out, basically. Oh, I think that was the intention, and that's what she even says with her friend who actually released her from the institution. Listen, I'm going to have a bit of a Chad moment. I'm kind of jealous of Stryker in this film. (laughs) It's him with six other women in this house. (laughs) Just that alone, just being able to flirt with six other women at the same time. Really? Come on. Flirt. Really? Uh-oh. That many women? We've got a real serial mom next to me here. That's right. <laughs> re, re, re. Uh, we should talk about Psycho sometime. I love Psycho. Well, I'm just talking about you specifically. Um, 
<laughs> no, let's before I dig myself a really deep. Really? Hole. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, especially since I did a paper on Ed Gein. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's like weird. I said. It's been a long week. Um. Favorite what the hell moment? Steve Martin, save me. What the hell? What the hell is that? Uh, I had a hard time picking one for this movie, but I have to go to the very beginning of the movie um, for what actually made me say, what the hell? And what is with this element in 80s films where we've got couples enacting a rape fantasy? There's like, I swear in the past year, I've seen four or five 80s films where, oh my God, this guy's stalking her. He's about to put the pantyhose over his head and rape this woman, this poor lady. It's like, nope, fake out. That's just the boyfriend. They're enacting a sex fantasy. Uh, Listen. I'm not not not, a kink shame. Yeah. But I don't get it. I don't get it either. Okay. Now between... Other than maybe they wanted to open up the scene with something jarring to grab your attention. I guess it's just... They could have, to me, what was the point? Yeah. Other than just like a little fake start to the movie or something. But uh, Carrie, what about you? What are what's your favorite? I have a series of what the hell moments for this, but most of them are, are all tied to the two dolls. And I believe there's two. I believe there is. Um, What the hell do the dolls have to do with the story? Yeah. I mean, what does it drive the story? Not really. Yeah. I mean, you have the doll at the apartment, and that leads to the dream sequence. You know, that same doll is in the middle of the road during the dream sequence. I mean, it's the same doll as the one found in the snow. What is it supposed to represent? Is it just the madness signifying nothing, or is it just one really crazy person from the mental institution? Is she the one that placed those dolls? I mean, we need a little bit more explanation behind the dolls. You know, it's not like the dolls were used to kill them. I mean, that would be cool. It goes from this supernatural thing in the dream to just being there. You know, is this the part of the Jalo that never fully formed? You know, is this just the calling card from the killer? I mean... Yeah, I think you make a good point. It wasn't creepy enough. Mm -hmm. I think you make a good point about it. I tend to think that this is one of those things like Simpson said in the interview with Terror Trap, like he had a half finished film. And I think the doll and if it's not and they added it later, then that makes me raise even more questions. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to think that that's just because we started with the cinematographer director where he was setting up all this symbolism and certain dreamy shots. Yeah. And he wanted that Jalo effect, the art house. And I see effect. that. And I see that. And I think it could have worked actually. Yeah. I think it may have worked better. But even Samantha had said it was taking too long to set up the shots. It was like the energy was really low during the shoot because, um, our man that ended up leaving, he was so obsessed with getting the right shot in the right way for the right symbolism, the right angle to make things more dreamy and clues and stuff like that. Well, can you blame him because no. he was a cinematographer? Well, except, he, no, I can't blame him. It's just he wasn't, as Simpson said, he was great and they remained friends. He had, there's no, nothing personal. He just wasn't right for the aim of this movie. They wanted the slasher. He wanted the Jala. They tried doing a little bit of both, and they just it just fell apart. But um, I do think. And by the way, we've got 
the killers got the black gloves on. Yeah. Okay. You've got the weird mask, the black gloves, the, the word doll, and the dream sequences. Exactly. So uh, you could say, is this like a Neo Jalo? It's like a bit of a stretch there. Um, but I mean, it certainly has elements. You to have it. the hag mask and, and yeah, there's movies that people call Jalo that are more, it's more of a stretch than this movie. Yeah. So it's like Jalo light basically. Um, it's almost a gelato light. Oh, <laughs> let's move on before I try to like me hungry. <laughs> over why or why not curtains is a job or whatever. But um, eh, labels don't mean a whole lot. It's a solid film. But uh, what my favorite death or effect. Um, everyone points to the Christie character, the ice skating scene and then her head reappearing in the toilet bowl. And then sure, if you're going to talk Canadian horror, that sequence, excuse me, sequence of scenes is a staple. Um, but I, uh, I can't get rid of the Jalo feelings with this movie. Um, I'm going to have to go with a very Jalo like kill and that's strikers, um, John Vernon's death being shot. And then the body crashing through the window. The killer has, like I said, he's got the black gloves on the fact that the gun is used. Um, the gun thing was like very tenebrae-esque, I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, so interesting to me to see like half of an idea and I'll follow through it on, but it, it still ends up being a solid film. Gary, yeah. what about uh, you? For me, it's Samantha's death during the big reveal in the kitchen. It shows that there is indeed two killers. How, yeah, and how about that is unique. Yeah. Um, especially for Before Scream. Then. And how about what Jake mentioned about- Two lot, women. Yeah, a lot of the kills happen yeah. in daylight. Maybe yeah. Too. I mean, the motivation from the one that followed her out of the mental institution, again, like I said earlier, no motive. Yeah. That is the scariest kind. You know, this woman thinks she's going to get her revenge. She may have gotten her revenge, but she didn't live. Yeah. Now, Carrie, that brings us to rating here. What are you rating, um, Curtains? So I'm rating this a three, only because I feel low. No, only because I feel like if there had been more of the Jalo-like aspect, that I probably would have given it a little bit of a higher rating. I wanted to see more of that. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Um, you know, I liked it a little bit more than you. I think. Um, I was only going to rate this a three, but the more I dove deeply into the research of the film and the more I thought about the kills, um, and just kind of like, what were the aims of the different creators and how they actually still pulled off a solid film. It's not terrible. Yeah. Um, I think that's why I bumped it up a notch for me. The more I think about this movie, the more I end up liking it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give it a three and a half. Okay, I can see why. Yeah. So that guys, that wraps it up for the rating. That is a three point two five out of five flamethrowers. I feel like that's 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 pretty good for this movie. Yeah. Apropos for curtains, yeah. I think. Um. Now moving right along. Here's a a question. And I'm interested to hear where this falls for you. (laughs) Is Curtains, is Curtains, is it in your top five horror films of 1983? And and I'm asking this, and I think this is an important question, okay? Because we're in the thick of the golden years of of horror, as many would put it. And especially during slashers, Jala was pretty much dead by then. But uh, in terms of slashers, 
1983, if you think back like, oh yeah, the 80s, you've got Michael and you've got Jason. Freddy mm-hmm. wasn't coming out yet for a whole other year. Yeah. Okay. Not quite. So Halloween, Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street. 1983 was a year where none of those films were in the theater. Mm-mm. Okay, even though we just had some really good ones the few years prior from all those um, franchises, I think it's important. Like that opens up 1983 to debate to say, hey, there's there is some room for films like Curtains and others to come into the fold and say, hey, the big guys aren't around this year. Maybe these fall into your top five. Does Given that, does Curtains fall into your top five 1983 horror films? No. no. Not for me. Not for me. Oh, and gosh. It... She's shaking her head violently. <laughs> she's starting to go crazy. She's got this weird redheaded-looking mask beside her in her seat. I'm scared, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, Curtains isn't yeah, there. No. But it, it, it'll it be an honorable mention. I mean, okay, for right. me, personally. Yeah. I mean, for me, number five, Cujo. Yeah. It's just, it's Stephen King. And it's Dee Wallace. And Dee Wallace. And when we did that cameo for yes. Jake and his and his wife, Ann Jeanette. Yeah. We got that was Wallace so cool. To do a cameo. And Ugh. she gave She was a little, so sweet. I know. She so actually sweet. teared up listening yeah. to her. Very heartfelt message about her and her husband. And, yeah. Um, but anyways. Yeah. So. Like it, like we said earlier, Last season, we had an episode called Adopt a Steve Wallace. Yeah. Where we talked about the how. <laughs> we love Dee Wallace. And as soon as we listened to the cameo, it was like, yes, you can adopt us. <laughs> I could listen to Dee Wallace give advice anytime. Oh, yeah. So, number four, again, Christine. Uh, you know, I, I love Which we're talking about next week in episode yeah, 50. I know. So, yeah. it does make my list. I feel like Christine's a gimme. It is. Okay. Number three. And you are. I know. I I'm know. I'm really shocked. I didn't realize how much you liked this one. Okay. Ten to Midnight. Yes. I've seen it many, many times. My dad, he loves Charles Bronson. Well, I mean, it's just one of those things that, like, my dad, late at night, puts on these movies, and there was only one TV in the house at the time, so you're stuck watching whatever your parents wanted to watch, and... I got exposed to a lot of these types of movies. Yeah. Listen to how she said that. You're stuck watching Ted to Midnight. How dare you put it at number three and you're <laughs> stuck watching it. As a kid? As a kid. I highly doubt you watched Ted to Midnight with your dad. Come on. Come on. You sure it wasn't just Death Wish for the millionth time? No. Or Mr. Uh, Majestic. All right. Yeah. I've seen. I've seen. <laughs> or The Mechanic. Yeah. I mean. I could go. I could watch any of those any <laughs> all the time. But no, my dad. I thought you escaped it. Ha ha ha. I know. <sighs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So what about number two? And by the way, your number two is an awesome pick, which yeah. I also picked. And I might have put it in the same spot, but maybe, this maybe is not. one of Quentin Tarantino's most underrated slash. It is. It is. Psycho 2. I love Psycho 2. It is an awesome, awesome movie in its own right. Yeah. Awesome. I, it's better than it has any right. Yes, it does. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's okay. a fantastic movie. Some people might say Psycho 2 is their number one of 1983. Yeah. What's what's your number one? So this just goes to like, um, like we watch this with our kids. Yeah. It's actually been like almost once a year now. Yeah. it's It's been an annual thing for us. This on during Halloween season. So, it's just something that it brings a memory of them watching, growing up watching this. And if you're a Ray Bradbury fan, you'll love this pick. 
something wicked this way comes. I love it. I mean, and again, yeah, it does make my um, honorable mention. So curtains. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it actually does because of the reason I mentioned earlier about the big franchises not having a movie out that year. Curtains does make my top five horror films in 1983 list, and um, there's kind of two Canadian uh, films back to back here, <clears throat> or at least Canadian in and from a director standpoint. Number five is Curtains. It makes my list. Um, number four is Cronenberg's Videodrome, which I love that one. Three, Christine, obviously. Two, Psycho 2. You put it at the same, yeah. I put it at the same spot. Yeah. Number one is 10 to Midnight. And that is horror. It's police procedural, slasher. Uh, and that's a great film. That's my favorite one from that year. It used to be Christine until I watched 10 to Midnight for the first time. Um... So I'm going to throw in a few more honorable mentions. I'm going to say Sleepaway Camp, Jaws 3. People love to hate on Jaws 3, but I love it. It's so cheesy. Um, Mr. Quaid does a good job being kind of goofy along with uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Um, I just love the underwater sea world whole thing. It's so so odd with the water skiing people. And see them water skiing 3. <laughs> um <laughs> And and I I like something wicked this way it comes from that year, but probably not as much of you. But it does get an honorable mention from me. Yeah, well, um, it's nostalgic for the kids. I mean, they're gonna grow up watching that every year, and it's gonna be something that they pass down. Like that's gonna be like a must for them. Yeah, no, that that was a really good call. Um, now time for a very random topic of the week. And we can thank ChatGTP and my curiosities for this uh, ending to this week's segment. We are going to talk a random faux synopsis for a curtain sequel. And yes, I was doing this while I was delirious. So, you know, blame it on the AI. Um, just blame everything on AI. We're going to be at war with it pretty soon anyways. But no, the, this synopsis is called Unveiled Curtains 2. In the desolate Canadian winter of 2003, the sinister legacy of the Glengarry Theatre casts a long shadow over the snow-covered landscape. Following the notorious Curtin's murders from 30 years prior, which is now, what, 40 years, basically? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. The theatre stands as a silent sentinel of terror, its empty halls echoing with the whispers of the dead. At first, I thought, ChatGTP, are you turning this into a supernatural film? Um... Determined to unravel the mystery shrouding the theater, a group of friends, and I'm like, oh God, is this going found footage? Led by the intrepid filmmaker, Sarah embarks on a perilous journey into the heart of darkness. <laughs> now this is sounding like a Dark Towers book. Yeah, it does. Into the, into the cosmic heart of darkness that is Curtains too. But no, no, no. Back to the actual plot now, or synopsis. As Sarah and her friends set foot inside the abandoned theater. They're unaware of the malevolent force that awaits them. Again, you're putting too much weight behind this what is yeah. a, well, what is a human killer, okay? Malevolent force. I mean, I guess Jason is a malevolent force. Soon. And again, I'm getting Blair Witch like found footage vibes from this. They found themselves stalked by a masked slasher whose presence and appearance rekindles the nightmares of the previous movie. 
trapped within the theater's icy embrace. The group must fight for survival as the killer picks them off one by one. As the body count rises and paranoia grips their minds, Sarah unearths the dark secrets hidden within the theater's walls. Madness, jealousy, and revenge weave a tangled web of terror, leading Sarah to confront the horrifying truth behind the curtain's murders. In a heart-stopping finale, Sarah faces off against the relentless slasher in a deadly game of cat and mouse. It's a little cliche. It there. is. It's a little cliche there, ChatGTP. Yeah, come on. Got a lot more to learn for ChatGTP 5.0 with time running out and her friends' lives hanging in the balance. Again, cliched. Sarah must summon all her courage to uncover the killer's identity and put an end to the bloodshed once and for all. <laughs> Unveiled Curtains 2 is a chilling homage to classic slasher films, blending suspense, mystery, and terror to create a spine-tingling tale of survival against all odds. <laughs> I'm thinking, is there a cliff in this movie? <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Quick, grab my hand. The hagged mask woman is back. And With a sickle. Gonna, you're either going to die by sickle or die by a great fall. <laughs> As the credits roll, the shadows of the past fade away, leaving behind a legacy of fear that will haunt viewers for years to come. Uh, Chad GTP with the thank you for the laugh with the fake curtains to synopsis. (laughs) Well, guys, that wraps it up here for episode 49. Hope you guys are having a, a good February. That does it for our whole month of unofficial Canadian tax shelter films, which again, I swear to you was not planned. No, I don't buy it. I I don't buy it. But no, speaking of Christine, as I said, that's the movie we are going to be talking about next week for episode 50. And we're going to try to get zombie toots and ghostly puppers on for that episode. The way these weeks are going during this winter, I can't (laughs) guarantee that because by the time we get to record, uh, it's all we can do. We're all like go into our separate quarters. Every, like we have experienced some cabin fever. I felt like we did a better job last winter dealing with the cabin fever. Probably. Winter. It's It's been rough. Yeah. It's been rough. So guys, love you. See you next week for Buddy. What is it? Buddy Tepperton or is it Repperton? I can't remember. The, the last name of the buddy yeah, character, yeah, the guy who's been like a senior for five years. <clears throat> and uh, hey, we get to talk about Stu Charno next week. Yes, we he's do. A, barely, he's barely in it, but he's still worth mentioning. And uh, I love me, Stu Charno. The one and only John Carpenter. This is actually our kid's favorite John it Carpenter is. film. Bo- both of well. Yeah. Well, maybe. maybe one. At least one of them. At least one of oh, them. Oh, you know what? Big Trouble in Little China. You're right. That might be our favorite as a family, like a family, yeah. like when we're sitting down yeah. watching a Carpenter flick, that's usually the one. And they, they were introduced to that, like, oh my God, when that they were like first... toddlers. Yeah. When they were four, <laughs> three and four, the first two films were Big Trouble and Escape. Yeah. Um, but no. And then now uh, what are some other elements? Well, let's save it for next week. Okay. Love you guys. Peace out. Just, there's something about women when they're the bad guy. It, I, it's extra scary to me. You know, something about a guy being a maniac. I don't. You just look at, it, ah, fuck that guy. Fuck him. I, you know, whatever. I drop kick him. You know, you just think shit like that for the most part. But there's something about. I don't know. It's they've always freaked me out. And for some reason, you know, I was thinking about that. How like women, 
you know, women being the uh, the Michael Myers to me is way more scary than the guy. Um, and I remember when I way back in like '82 or '83, when I first got cable, um, I was watching late night, and I can't even, you know, I I really feel bad for people of this generation who have just grown up with cable. You have no idea how fucking insane cable is. You have no idea. We had three networks, two UHFs, and that was it. And nobody cursed. No titties, no nothing. It was it was unbelievable. Unbelievable when that shit came out. So <clears throat> anyways, so I'm watching Late Night. And I was watching this movie. And I looked it up on YouTube. It's actually, the movie is called Curtains. And... Uh, it has one of the most bizarre, fucked up scenes. You know, I went back and I watched it. It really didn't hold up over time. Um, but back in the day, it really fucking freaked me out. Um, it basically, there's a scene in that movie, Curtains, where there's a girl who's out on a pond. And she's fucking taking... I can't even explain it. For, I forget because I haven't seen the movie in so long. The clip I watched, she's basically uncovering snow. And you think it's a dead body, but it's a doll underneath. And as she's holding it up, the doll has a weird look on her face. And then they're sort of cutting to these fucking ice skates, slowly, in slow motion, just beginning to skate across the pond towards this girl. And of course, she has no idea that this fucking thing is coming towards her. And they just show it from a distance, and it just looks like a person. And as it gets closer and closer... It just, it's this fucking psycho, I I think it's a woman, I can't even remember, but it looks like a woman, it's got a female face, like a witch face with long hair, and she's skating like she's speed skating, and then she pulls out like this fucking sickle. (laughs) I can't, it's fucked up, right? I mean, I don't know.